Hello, friends, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm Joe Webb. And I'm Brandon Wood, and this is a podcast for spiritual exiles, all of us who are looking for faith beyond the confines of institutional religion. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. This is uh, episode number 46 of the podcast. It is the 21st episode of our second season. And our guest today, I'm really excited, Brandon. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this, uh, this person, if if you are someone who's been in deconstruction or in progressive Christian circles, you've probably come across uh, some of his artwork on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Um, our guest is none other than the naked pastor, David yeah. Hayward. Yeah, I mean, conversation was phenomenal. I gotta admit i was a little embarrassed because i got confused by the word naked and i forgot to wear clothes. You, your expectations were not realistic <laughs> i forgot Let's to just... wear clothes luckily i you know now i'm joking this um <laughs> his artwork on social media is just phenomenal um is always making me think and so joe when you were like hey guess who we're interviewing i was like let's do this so i mean the conversation was great yeah i mean it, i think if anyone kind of captures the essence of of what it means to be someone who's deconstruction deconstructing from um some kind of religious system um i think david really has his finger on the pulse of what that means yeah. and and his artwork really reflects it um as well as you know some of his other kind of creative outlets um that we talk about some in the podcast too so please give a warm welcome to the naked pastor david hayward Somehow you need to figure out a way to integrate that into your life as, as a part of who you are now. A great analogy for me was um, like compost, which is half earth and half shit. And basically <laughs> yes. that's, that's, our, that's our history. Half of it's good, <laughs> half of it's shit. But somehow when you fold it together, it makes really, really rich soil. And that's what oh. we grow out of. Well, hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Brandon and I are really excited today uh, about our guest, yeah. um, David Hayward. You may know David as the Naked Pastor if you are <laughs> if you're on any like progressive <laughs> Christian groups on um, Facebook or if you um, you know follow any of that on any social media. You've probably seen some of uh, David's artwork. Yeah. Um, Brandon and I are both big fans. When we were sort of lining up our guest list for the summer, David, you were very, very high on our list um, because I, I think you've got a really interesting story um, that I think our listeners are going to want to hear. So welcome. Uh, we're excited Yay. to have you here. And uh, why don't you, uh, yeah, just give, give the folks a little introduction and uh, oh. we'll dive in. Yeah. Hi guys. So uh, thanks for having me on the show and hello everybody out there. Yeah. That's um, you know, when somebody says we're having David Hayward on the show and most people are like David Hayward, who's that? But as soon as you say naked pastor, a lot more people chime in and realize what you're talking about, but uh, yeah. So naked pastor, um, it started around 2005. I was a pastor of a church at the time. And, um, you know, I was in the ministry for about 30 years. And But I'd been blogging since about 2005, started cartooning and offending people around that time. <laughs> and uh, <Nice. laughs> and uh, it was, it, it, you know, um, nobody really read my blog much until I started cartooning and other people started to notice and informing people in my church and my people in authority over me in the denomination. And um, it was in 2009 when I was sort of given a warning and um, realized my time was up. Mm. And and the next year was when I left the ministry and decided to jump into Naked Pastor full time. So that's what I do now. I draw cartoons, I paint paintings, I draw art, I write, I, you know, do all kinds of things online. And um that's uh, basically I've shifted my, um, let's say my uh, parish to, uh, <laughs> to online rather than a local yeah. local congregation. So, and I'm having a lot of fun. So, That's awesome. doing things like this is part of it. That's very really cool. cool. Very cool. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and a little bit, a little bit. I, I want to dive into. Um, some of the community stuff um, yeah. that's happening around the content you're creating. Yeah. Um, 
One of the, you know, when I was um, looking at your website and your Facebook page, um, one of the things that you say there is that your work challenges the status quo, deconstructs dogma, and promotes critical thinking. Right. Um, uh, unpack that that statement for us a little bit, because I think that really is a, a great insight into the work you're doing. Well, I, you know, I'm, it's kind of funny because I'm, I'm a really nice guy. I'm Canadian. <laughs> Um, we're known to for our, you know, all, always apologizing, and um, <laughs> we don't like war, and um, you know, we we avoid conflict. I'm I'm very much like that. Like I I don't like conflict, but I like the truth, and I like people to be treated nicely, mm. and um, I don't have much um, tolerance for silliness or stupidity, especially if it harms people. And so I, I just draw about that kind of thing. And um, as a result, it creates conflict. It, it uh, upsets the apple cart, rocks the boat. Um, it challenges the establishment, the way things are done. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, one of the things I talk about quite a bit is spiritual independence, where I believe every person has the right to determine how they want to be spiritual or not. And it's totally in their um, power to determine, be self-determining and autonomous and independent, um, spiritually speaking. So uh, that's that's what I mean by that. I, I encourage personal freedom, um, personal expression of freedom, and um, I, I believe in community and the value of community and doing it in a healthy way. And um, I'm aware of also systemic um structures that are in place to prevent authentic personal freedom yeah. and authenticity as well as true community from happening. So that's, that's what I basically cartoon and write about most of the time. Yeah. And kind of the second part of that question, and you, you touched on it a little bit there. Um, the institution is so threatened by that idea of spiritual independence. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I mean, why do you, why do you suspect that? I mean, I suppose we all kind of have our opinions on why that is, but um, well, in your experience, why do you think that is? It's like any relationship. It's like with my wife and I, Lisa and I, um, we, uh, you know, when we first met and got married and everything, we were pretty entangled and meshed in, in an unhealthy way. Although we didn't mind it. We loved being totally uh, absorbed in one another and everything and sort of lost ourselves in one another which I think it's probably typical for young love. I mean, she, she was a teenager. I was barely not a teenager and, you know, we were very, very young and, and over time, and we were, we were joined at the hip going all through ministry and everything like that. We were pretty much side by side on a team, um, caring for churches and congregations and so on. And then uh, eventually we came to realize that uh, she wanted to grow a certain way and I wanted to grow a certain way, which, which, caused some tension and some friction in our relationship. In fact, I wrote a whole book about it, um, Till Doubt Do Us Part, When Changing Beliefs Change Your Marriage, which is exactly what happened to us. And um, where we we realized we really did enjoy sort of being enmeshed and lost in one another, but we, we'd sort of lost our independence. And right. we needed to figure out a way as a couple to become independent and, and uh, rather than codependent. And, and, and then choose to become uh, interdependent. Mm. Uh, and we had to figure out how to do that in a new way. We sort of had to renegotiate a relationship, figure out how to, how to relate as independent, healthy, independent people. I think that's the healthiest relationship is when two healthy, independent people come together and choose to be interdependent rather than two unhealthy individuals um, um, entering into a dependent or codependent relationship. So. Yeah. And it's the same with the church. I really do believe the healthiest community is one made up of uh, healthy, independent people who join together volitionally and decide how to relate with one another and to one another. That makes the healthiest community. The church systems, any kind of system, really, you name it, from you know anything from uh, any job to the military to education to medicine, any, any institution at all, um, there's pressure to make everybody conform, follow the rules, make yeah, it run yeah. like a well-oiled machine. And this is how it'll, 
continue to exist and, and succeed and make money. And um, so, uh, but that actually uh, is the opposite of community and it prevents true authentic community. So just like uh, Lisa and I in our marriage, it's a healthy interdependence. I think the healthiest community in church is interdependent, but the church feels threatened by that because it assumes if we let people go free, it's yeah. going to go crazy and we're going to lose people. They're going to go their own way, like sheep without a shepherd, and um, we're going to lose our numbers and our offerings will go down, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, and I know I was a pastor. I know I get it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that, that's a very real concern. You have a choice. I know I'm ranting here because no, I'm very no, tired. No, no, just keep ranting. You have a choice. <laughs> Either build an institution and, you know, with all the strings attached, all the successes, you know, all the money, all the numbers, everything, or build authentic community. It's chaotic. It's crazy. It's unpredictable, but it's healthier and, uh, and a lot more fun. And, uh, but don't count on that for, uh, money or, or <laughs> yeah. for, you know, success or for fame or anything. So that has actually been my experience. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why institutions, um, are not crazy about personal freedom. Yeah. In fact, I, I had one pastor say, you know, you're, we're like trains on a track. You're free. As long as you stay on the track, <laughs> you're free. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not a train. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and but that's exactly how uh, a lot of um, institutions and systems want us to act. They want us to stay on track to make things work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't until like after my when I was in the throes of deconstruction, I was able to look back and put myself in the pastor's shoes and be like, well, if I was in their shoes and my salary was from doing the ministry well then no it would be hard not to like i I grew up in a high control high manipulative um uh religion and Mm -hmm. uh, or or system and i was like i see why they would be like that like if my whole income and and my kids livelihood my wife's like yeah like i would be afraid to have someone leave or give someone that freedom like you were talking about um, I, I really enjoyed reading, uh, on your website, your, your deconstruction story. Um, mm. I, I found myself in it a little bit. I was really fast. I don't want to give it away. I'd like for you to maybe dive into it a little bit, but I found it fascinating that you had the breakdown or you had the moment of like, oh my gosh, this whole thing's crumbling, but you still went into ministry and you had 30 years. <laughs> like I was the same way. I was not 30 years, but you know, like it was crumbling while I was still doing it. And, um, so could you kind of dive in, you know, give us like the, the cliff notes version of like what started the deconstruction for you and and how that played out in your life? Yeah. My, my deconstruction, I know people whose deconstruction happened overnight. It was like some kind of trauma, um, in their belief or, or some kind of trauma or crisis in their life happens. And they realize this is all, you know, this isn't real. And they, they completely change overnight. Mine was more like a slow glacial melt, kind of like climate change. It was just mm. like, it, but I know when it started. Ooh. That's the thing. I know, I know exactly when it started. Um, but it would took years and years, well, um, decades for it to finally come to fruition. So when it started for me was the day of my graduating from um, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary with my master's in New Testament studies. And I was a Bible fanatic, like seriously, I, 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 I still have my original Bible. It's a interlinear Bible, all underlined in all kinds of colors and notes all in the margins and everything. I was a Bible freak. And uh, I went to Bible college. And then I went to seminary, I studied Greek, years of Greek, years of Hebrew, Aramaic, Ugaritic, you know, you name it. I was and theological French, theological German. I studied under Dr. Gordon Fee, uh, who's wow. a famous wow. New Testament scholar. Like, and yeah. just I was in over my, I was in deep. Like, the, I was serious about the Bible. But on the day of my graduation, I'd been reading a book. Everybody, everybody's going to ask, "What was that book?" So I'm going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the Silence of Jesus by James Breach, and. Um, He's he was a professor at York University in Toronto, and it was a, basically a book about um, the sayings of Jesus. And uh, he 
concluded there were about maybe seven sayings of Jesus in the Gospels that were authentic. Mm-hmm. And the rest were, um, you know, um, written into his, um, you know, sermons and teachings and everything. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not debating whether that's true or not. All I'm saying is that that threw me wow. for a, a major loop. Like I, I, I was getting ready for graduation. I actually had my robe on and everything. And I was freaking out in, in my bedroom, like freaking out. Like, cause for me, it's kind of like the Jenga block tower. Mm. All, all of my Jenga blocks rested on the inspiration of scripture. And if that went, I knew everything was going to go. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, yeah. I, it was just like, if the Bible can't be relied upon as the word of God, then, you know, yeah. um, if it's not, in, you know, the three eyes inspired, yeah. infallible, in, um, inerrant, you know, I, 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 I just, I was literally freaking out. My wife had to grab me by the shoulders and say, you've got to go to graduation. <laughs> and, um, and, but you know, that, like, like I say, climate change, it was very slow, but there are episodes. Yeah. And that was an episode that started it all. And yeah, I went ahead into the ministry um, because I wasn't like, I wasn't, um, I, I didn't throw out the Bible. Mm. I just knew there were questions <clears throat> and I wasn't willing to throw out the Bible or reject everything I'd learned up to that point. Um, I always insist and, and tell people, don't reject everything. Don't like throw out your history. Like don't rip out chapters of your story. It won't make sense anymore. You won't make sense anymore. You wouldn't be who you are now unless you were who you were then. And so I, I know, I know that somehow all my love of the Bible and studying the Bible and the scriptures and the languages and all that somehow brought me to this point. And I had to figure out a way. <clears throat> I wasn't willing to throw it all, all out, but I had to figure out a way to integrate this new mm, um, yeah. realization into my spiritual journey. And it took many, 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 many years mm. to happen. And, and so that's, that's what my uh, deconstruction looked like. Literally, uh, my whole ministry was deconstruction. But it was so, like I say, like a glacial melt. It was just so slow and gradual yeah. with, with episodes, like I say. But um, it, it finally came to the point where I could no longer stay in that container we call the institutional church. Well, yeah, that's, our ministry. that's what I was wondering. Was there, was there a point? Um, in your preaching ministry and your ministry in general, where in general, where you're like, I find myself saying these things that I don't even believe. You know what I mean? Was mm-hmm. there was there that disconnect where like I got to say stuff to keep the status quo or to line up to the denominational line, but I don't mm-hmm. even know if I believe those anymore. Right. No. Uh, for me, um, I, I grew up in a family that moved around a lot and we were never devoted to one denomination. So I sort of carried that with me into my mm. own ministry. I didn't, even though I got, uh, you know, I started out, you know, I was baptized as an Anglican, uh, which is Episcopal to you guys. Mm-hmm. Right, um, right. I got saved as a Baptist. We switched to Pentecostal. I went to Pentecostal Bible college. I went to an evangelical seminary i switched became presbyterian got ordained presbyterian i had a roman catholic spiritual director you know i've 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 pastored independent churches i call myself my own ecumenical movement because i've been everywhere (laughs) and um and so i always gravitated towards churches or congregations that um felt like a a large enough container for me to feel free to be who i was so i never felt like I was, an, you know, like that imposter syndrome. I never felt that any time. Although towards the end of my ministry, when I knew people were, um, you know, my, my congregation used to say, why would we read your blog? We have to listen to you every week already. <laughs> and uh, so, but it got to the point where rumors were, Naked Pastor was getting more famous. Rumors were circulating uh, the, the, um, head office was getting letters of concern from other pastors and congregants. And, you know, are you aware you have a heretic in your midst and that there's a fox <laughs> in the vineyard and blah, blah, blah. And I knew, and when I got the call, they suggested I started running my posts through them first. 
for approval. I knew my time was up and yeah. sure enough, within a year, I knew my time was up when the, I, when some important people from the congregation and I had a meeting and it was like, you know, we're, this isn't working anymore. We're, we're no longer compatible really theologically. I, 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 I felt I'd found the edge of the container and um, at the edge of the box and uh, I could stay and I would suffer and so would the church or I could leave and embark on my new uh, leg of my journey and the church would be free to continue as it wanted to continue. And that's what I did. I left. Yeah. Like overnight. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm ordained um, by the United Methodist church here in the States. And I, okay. yeah. And it's so much of what you just said really resonates. Um, I, I only pastored a church. I'm a, I was a second career pastor. So I, you know, my ordination actually came after my deconstruction. Oh, uh, well, or during, yeah, kind of, I, I really, um, identify with, with that kind of the glacial melt <laughs> way of, yeah. I, I always refer to my deconstruction as waves. Um, yeah. you know, that there's, yeah. th- at first there was sort of a spiritual deconstruction and then there was sort of a ecclesial deconstruction and, you know, and, and now mm-hmm. I'm in the midst of this linguistic deconstruction where, you know, the language that we use for the divine, I'm finding really comes up short. And yeah. so th- yeah. there's sort of this process, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. I, I totally get that, you know, pushing up against those denominational barriers. I, I'm really lucky that I'm in a place um, where where my denomination um, kind of gives me some freedom, you know, to create new things rather than get plugged into the old institutional things. Right. Um, right. There was something I want to back up for just a second before I lose this thought, because you said when you were talking about your um, the beginning of your deconstruction coming from, you know, this book you read. Um, and I don't want to like dwell on this, but it just, I think there's a, an interesting point here, but it occurred to me that one of the options you have would have been to just reject what you read in the book right? and, and, and not go on that deconstruction journey. What was it that made you say, you know what, there's, there's something of truth here that I have to pursue rather than just say well, the, the book is BS. I'm sticking with my, yeah, you know, question. belief structure here. Well, that's the, the, you know, um, very early on, I, I was aware of, you know, confirmation bias that can operate in all of our lives. And I knew like it, it, the book, the silence of Jesus was written back in the, probably the seventies or something, or maybe the early eighties. So, and it, it, it's a good book, but it wasn't, it didn't rock the world, you know, theologically. It was just something that happened to me. And I know for other people, it could be a movie or a song or an event or, you know, falling in love or having a child, something or being in an accident, something can happen to provoke uh, the um, established, your established way of thinking. So this book um, was a very, very, good analysis of of the sayings of Jesus, particularly these seven. And um, it just was convincing. And uh, so, and I'd already heard of the funk, um, the, I forget what was that called, where they blackballed or scriptures, I forget the name of that school, funk. Anyway, where they would determine their ball uh, which scriptures were authentic and, uh, you know, in the gospels and which were not, it's the historical Jesus, the search right. for the historical Jesus kind of project. And, and, um, you know, it just up to that point, I'd sort of dismissed all that as liberal and, you know, all that kind of thing. Cause I was very much an evangelical at the time. And, and, but it just, it just, weaseled yeah. its way in there. It got, I found a crack. I don't know why, but it somehow found a crack and made its way in. And <laughs> here's another analogy. It's kind of like a, you know, some bad code or some code that got into my um, mm. computer oh, system. Man. It just yeah. started like a virus just started corrupting my beliefs. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the reason I find that so fascinating, because I, for me, that happened with Brian McLaren's new kind of Christian trilogy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a relative of mine recommended it to me when she saw that I was starting to write some stuff on my blog that was sort of deconstruction-y, like right. very, or like before I even knew that's what was happening to me. 
Uh, right. Just, you know, pose, posing some questions about the institution and things. And uh-huh. she said, you really should read these books. And so I did. And and it messed me up like for yeah. a while. I, I lost sleep. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't because I was angry about it, it, but it did. I knew I knew my status quo was being disturbed. Yeah, um, yeah. And I and I had but I had this sense all along that that it was a good thing. Right. That it needed to happen. And I needed to allow that process to play out. Right. Um, but there was it, that, that idea of, of some code worming its way into the program yeah. is so descriptive because yeah. there was something about it that even though I wanted to say, this is garbage, you know, it's, it's, this isn't what I've always been taught. Like something inside me knew that it was true Yeah. or, or that at least it was revealing some truth, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, it, it was like, um, uh, Karl Barth. Uh, the German th- theologian wrote that uh, the best way through a theological issue, uh, the best way to the best way to deal with a theological problem or an issue is not to skirt around it or reject it or ignore it or deny it or whatever, but to go through it. The best way is to go through. And he refers to some painting where uh, a horse, a, a man on a horse, a warrior on a horse, is making his way through uh, uh, the enemy to get to the other side. And um, so it's it's like. I, I sort of took that advice um, where I shouldn't ignore it. I shouldn't deny that it's happening. I shouldn't reject it or nor should I just wholesale swallow it hook, line and sinker and um, you know, reject everything else. So yeah. uh, I figure I need to figure out uh, with integrity, a way through this problem of me somehow believing that the scriptures are true, I had to figure out what I meant by that, but also figure out how um, they might not be historically accurate or factually accurate or, you know, uh, right. our, our sole rule for life and faith and all that kind of thing. I had to figure all that out. And, you know, part of that was the LGBTQ plus uh, community and figuring, okay, you got this on the one hand, this, and I wasn't willing to just reject one over the other or one, you know, I had to figure a way through this. And that's what happened to me eventually was uh, it all resolved. The problem resolved. And to this day, I I appreciate the Bible. I appreciate the church. I appreciate Christianity. I appreciate religion, but I also know that um, I'm, I'm spiritually independent and can choose how they play a role in my life or not. And, and that I, I get to decide, you know, what, what is, what is true for me. And um, so that, that for me, like, like you say, there, there are several kinds of deconstruction. There's the theological ecclesiological, and then like the linguistic too, we know Mm -hmm. that that was the big thing that happened to me in 2009. I had this sort of an epiphany where I realized there's one reality, but there's a million apprehensions of that reality yeah. and a million explanations of that reality, but there's just this one reality. And for when I realized that it was like, yeah. that's when the peace of mind came, I felt totally at peace and I knew I could make a, a decision and, and move onward. Um, so that, that's what my, dis- that was sort of the closure of uh, the trauma of my deconstruction it was wow. around 2009 wow. theologically. And uh but on the other hand, you know, the, deconstruction for me is a way of life. It basically means questioning everything. And um, I, I think we always need to question our conditioning. And um, I think that's just a healthy way to live. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to take just a minute to thank some of the folks that help us make the Accidental Tomatoes podcast happen through our Patreon giving platform. For as little as $2 a month, you can be part of a growing group of people who are committed to helping create and curate all the great content for the Accidental Tomatoes community. We're grateful for the contributions of all of our patrons, and I'd like to recognize our master gardener-level contributors, Jen and Harry Morgan, and Kevin and Heather Malcolm. To learn more about how you can support this podcast and the community we're creating, just go to patreon.com slash accidentaltomatoes. You can also support our work by simply leaving us a rating and review on your favorite streaming app. That helps other folks find our community and participate in the conversation. And now, back to the podcast. Now, let let me ask you, um, since you were 
you know, like probably all three of us, Bible nerds, <laughs> um, where, and I, I like to ask this question because I, I, I find different answers, but where are you now with the Bible? Like, as I imagine before you were in it, like you said, you underlined everything, you know, took right. notes. Is that something that, like for me, I can't open it. I can't look at it. I studied it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just because my mind still goes to those ruts that were ingrained in me growing up. I haven't got mm-hmm. to the point now where, I haven't got to the point yet where I'm like, yeah, I want to go read it. Um, mm-hmm. Is that is the Bible still something a part of your daily life? Is it something that you reference every once in a while? You know, what where is that relationship with you in the Bible? So, um, for me, the Bible uh, is a sign. It's like a finger pointing to something, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, it's you know, sixty six fingers pointing at something. <laughs> Um, but uh, it's a it's a conglomeration, a collection of writings of ancient men uh, from an ancient time, doing their best to explain a great mystery. Um, and um, so they're basic. It's basically a finger pointing. And so I appreciate it for that. Mm. It's not the truth. It's pointing or trying to, attempting to point to the truth. And and so um, that's to me, what the Bible is now. So I appreciate it for that with all of its stories and, you know, um, all of its teachings and all the legends and myths and all that kind of thing. I appreciate it for what it's attempting to do. And that is point to the truth. So no, for me, the Bible's kind of in me, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I mean, I grew up on it. I, (laughs) I devoured it. I memorized it. I, you know, like I said, I studied it up and down. It's sort of in there. And uh, it's not a part of my daily routine to read the Bible. Now, once in a while, I'll, I'll pick it up and say, you know, just to, to, to check something out and see. Um, but uh, it's because my attitude towards the Bible has changed. Yeah. You know, um, the Bible to me used to be my guide. Like, so I had to read it like a map. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah, yeah. um, sure I was still going in the right direction. Um, but now I don't see it that way anymore. Mm. And, uh, you know, I still see that anxiety when I make posts on Instagram or wherever, where people, I I see their anxiety of trying to make it fit into what scripture says or showing that it doesn't fit what scripture says. And um, I, you know, I totally recognize that anxiety of of, uh, the scripture needing to be um, the, the sole guide for our rule and rule for faith and life. Right. So, yeah. Uh, whereas I don't see it that way anymore. Yeah. I think a lot of people when they're hitting deconstruction, it, that's a weird, you know, relationship, something that yeah. used to be, you know, you have to read this every day to, <laughs> to live and, and get, your, oh, man, yeah. you know what I mean? No, then, I, mean yeah. I remember the yeah. fear of, you know, being told you need to read your Bible and pray every day and, I remember that very, very clearly. Yeah. Now, um, now we talk a lot about on our on our podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with um, uh, James Fowler's uh, stages of spiritual development. Totally, um, stages of faith. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Faith. We um, and, and so for us, we've been really um, focused on what he would call stage three, stage four. But stage three is like what I would call the evangelical church, where everything is black and white laid out for you very authoritarian um, style of, of, of belief. And then stage uh-huh. four would be what he classifies as deconstruction. Um, mm-hmm. And as we, as we've dived into it, you know, realizing it's not only natural, but it's a necessary stage in spiritual growth. How, how does that resonate with you? Uh, see it in your journey and, and see it in your drawings and, and maybe even see it in people who you've, you've shared Man, I've written, I've written so much about this. I, James Fowler, um, his book, um, stages of faith was huge in my life. And I've compared deconstruction to going through these stages. And my argument is that the church is great at carrying people up to stage three. (laughs) And then it drops the ball when we want to move on to stage four. Pulls them back. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, and Lisa and I, um, were parents of three adult children and we had to make a decision when they entered their teens, adolescence and uh, later teens and so on, when things got batshit crazy um, with them as teenagers, uh, it was more important for us to help them grow and become independent 
and for us to maintain some kind of relationship with them than to be right mm. and try to control them. Because we, we'd we seen it over and over again where parents lose their kids when they try to control them and um, prevent them from, you know, straying or whatever. Um, and as a result, they do lose them, right? When, yeah. when they exert control and authority and disciplinarianism and all that on their kids, they end up most of the time losing them in the end. Um, but they're still right. And that happens to, with the church uh, where uh, – rather than allowing people to experiment and discover how to be independent, um, they clamp down with rules and regulations and ought and must and should. And um, as a result, they end up most, most of the time losing people. Uh, and that, and we see, we we're seeing that happening now um, where a lot of people are, are leaving the church in order to grow. I do a lot of cartoons in that, yeah. in that, um, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, where the only way some people can grow is by leaving the church. And that's exactly what happened to me. I had to leave the ministry and leave the church in order to keep growing. And I'm glad I did because I did keep growing. But if I'd stayed, I would have had to conform and, you know, control and, and, and rein myself in and, you know, all that kind of thing. And I wasn't willing to do that. And, and less and less people are willing to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. What, some of the stuff I've kind of been working on in my own um, growth development is, yeah, I've been thinking about, and, and regular listeners to the podcast have heard me say something along these lines before, but, you know, Fowler kind of envisions all that whole process as being very linear. And I've been reading a little bit of Ken Wilber lately um, because of the influence of Richard Rohr and thinking about what, what Fowler's um, theory would look like if you mapped it on a spiral dynamic kind of model rather than a linear model. And I, I think there's, a, that could be a whole other podcast topic to talk about that. But one of the things that that makes me also think about is whether s there are some corners of the church that are starting to get it. And yeah. that what Fowler imagined it, that happens with individuals, you know, in our own spiritual growth and development can also happen on a sociological scale where, where communities will now start to realize that we have to grow together through these phases, that a community can be at stage three, which I think you're absolutely right here. The church is really good at getting people to stage three, but the institution itself doesn't move through stage four into five, six, and seven. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if we're starting to see some movement, you know, Phyllis Tickle talks about these seismic shifts that right. happen about every five, 500 years or so. I wonder if that's maybe, I don't know. I'm just curious about your observation of that. Are, do you think yeah. we're starting to see that on a scale of where groups and communities, not just individuals, can can undertake that growth um, development? Okay, well, uh, I want to write one sec. Um, uh, yeah, I've got, I'm very passionate about this. Um, yeah, the problem with Fowler we know now is that uh, it's too linear. Right. And the impression is that as you move on, you sort of leave behind yeah. the previous stages. Yeah. Then, uh, well, uh, legs of the journey. Then we think in terms of stages where we kind of move up in, in terms of stages. And But the problem with that too is you look down on your previous stages, yes. sort of yeah. maybe even condescendingly. The problem with that is you look on condescendingly down on other people on this in those stages <laughs> now i what i i did a lot of thinking about this and i've i've come to the conclusion that the best growth is spatial so you start here uh infant child and you grow outward and mm -hmm. it subsumes everything that's gone before nothing is left behind nothing's dropped it's all included um, and like, it's like nothing's wasted. Everything's integrated. Your whole story makes up who you are. Mm. So that stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, stage five, stage six, it's all in there. It's all included. Nothing's rejected. And so why I think wow. that's important is because, and this is what I, I constantly encouraging people who are deconstructing, don't reject your past. Don't rip out your story, earlier chapters of your story. You are who you are now because of who you were then. So this is all a part of this. Carl Jung talks about integrating 
you know, your uh, dark side, your shadow side, yeah, you know, your, yeah. your infant, the, the woman, the whatever. You need to integrate all these aspects in your life, including your whole story, and somehow figure out how to integrate that and individuate yourself as a human being. That's how you become mature. How this translates to community is, I believe, the healthiest communities are diverse communities. And so um, that means that you're going to have uh, people who are at stage one, stage three, stage five, mm. all together. If you can, I think, I think community leaders need to figure out how to facilitate communities like this. And, and so what it requires is their own self-awareness and maturity where they've integrated, you know, all the aspects of, of their own spiritual journeys including the, you know, crazy evangelical renewal kind of infant theology, all this kind of stuff, all that has to be integrated so that they can, with compassion and empathy and, and grace and love, include everybody in their, in their communities. And so I think that's the healthiest communities. I don't think, I don't think it'd be um, helpful or even possible to try to have a, a community full of threes or a community full of fours. I remember one counselor said, David, like I'm, a, I'm an INFP uh, personality. Um, and, and this counselor, the therapist said to me, David, you don't want a church full of INFPs. And it's true. That would be yeah. horrible. Yeah. And, and it's just, I'm an ENFP. So, that would be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think if we, if we think of growth in terms of spatial, it includes everybody. I really like that model. Yeah. That's that's challenging to me because I'm still stuck in that uh, vibe of of discrediting the past and trying to oh. forget about it and you know, but to look at it that way where it's all inclusive and I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for that. And well, the thing is, uh, it's it's not you can reject it, but it's still there <laughs> and doing its work, right? It's yeah. it's kind of like Carl Jung again. Um, walk or be dragged uh and and so it's like <clears throat> your past is there your story is there um you you may try to reject it or forget it or be ashamed of it and embarrassed by it humiliated by it and try to move on and, but it's all there so you need to figure out a way to somehow have compassion on your child your inner child the person who was there the the uh, religious fanatic who was there, you know, the the crazy youth leader who was there, all that stuff, the preacher who was preaching all that stuff that you no longer believe. Yeah. Somehow you need to figure out a way to um, integrate that into your life as as uh, who you are now, uh, a part of who you are now. I you know, a great analogy for me was um, like compost, which is half earth and half shit. And basically, <laughs> yes. that's that's our that's our history. Half of it's good, <laughs> half of it's shit. But somehow, when you fold it together, it makes really, really rich soil, and that's what oh. we grow out of. So you need both. That's great. You can't just you can't just say I'm going to take all the good parts. You have to take the bad parts, yeah. fold it all in together, and that's what makes a real, real nutritious kind of uh, soil out of which people grow. And um, so. The, the sooner I think that we um, have to take that approach to our own personal lives, uh, the, the healthier we'll be and actually um, happier too. Because uh, it takes a lot of energy to try to forget. Just integrate your shit, Brandon. Is there is there any way we can request a drawing? Because that'd be great. I would love to have that in my studio. Is Whatever that would look like. <laughs> shit <Yeah>. and earth. <laughs> that's that's yeah. phenomenal. I love, I mean, that's, that's really, that's going to give me, uh, some some stuff to think about as I as I'm processing move forward. That's really good. Thank you for that. Cool, yeah. cool. Um, just to shift gears just slightly here, um, yeah. because you've been part of a project that that I've been kind of getting into lately. This um, this thing called the Deconstructionist Playbook, um, and and some of your artwork is is part of that book. Right. Um, I've I've found it to be I, I've I've only just kind of uh, gotten into it. I think I'm only in like the second chapter, but the whole, the whole first chapter is about deconstruction. Um, and then later on there's a chapter about reconstruction, but it's sort of these little 
I guess in church where we we call them devotionals, you know, I I, I kind of think of them as as reflections or um, something along those lines. Um, right. Talk, can you talk a little bit about that project and what that means and who it's for and and what it's all about? Well, I mean, there's <clears throat> it's it's just another resource. I mean, I wrote a book called the, the Lasting Supper: Letters for Deconstruction, basically just sharing letters that I shared with my online community. Um, because uh, what I just concluded years ago was that um, people who are leaving the church are actually trying to grow spiritually. And, um, you know, we, we, we call it deconstruction. Um, uh, but it, they, they were basically like refugees and um, who were sent, who, who left their homeland, the church, and are basically left on their own with the, just the clothes they have on their back in terms of resources. They're zilch, nothing. I mean, when you're in the church, you've got a million resources for, for everything from managing your money to managing your wife, you know, everything there's, yeah. there's resources for. Um, but when you, and when you're totally out of the church and in the world, let's like they used to say, there's resources for that, you know, how to start a business, how to do this, how, how to raise your kids, how to, you know, find a job, blah, blah, blah. But there's no resources. There were no resources for people who were um, sort of in that in-between place, that no man's land of a spirit, being a spiritual refugee where they've left their home. They still haven't landed in a new one. Mm. And sort of like floating on a boat in the Aegean Sea, uh, waiting for somewhere to land. And uh, it's it's a, it was for many people it was very lonely. There were no resources. There was no encouragement. There was no um, because when you leave the church, basically you're on your own. Yeah. And you just need to figure it out. And and so you know that's why I started writing about it and cartooning about it. <clears throat> and you know what I hear back from people most often is, you know what? I'm so glad I found your stuff because now I realize I'm not alone yeah. and I'm not going crazy and that this is actually a good thing. And that's all people need. Once they hear that they're, they're good. They're good. They, they found their new home and which is where they are, wherever they are, that's where home is. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a new way to think, you know, really when you're, when you're deconstructing from, from the church. Yeah. Is there one piece of advice you would give to someone who is just starting the journey of, of deconstruction? Buckle up. Wear your helmet. <laughs> <laughs> I was just out, oh, to, yeah, I was out to dinner fine. with a friend yeah. and, and we were talking about that, like um, just the craziness of, of deconstruction. You know, unfortunately, he was in a relationship where the partner didn't <clears throat> didn't want to deconstruct and they dug their heels in. And, you know, got even stricter to their beliefs. Um, right. I was fortunate enough to, my wife was a few years behind me, thought I was going crazy. But then she was like, oh, no, wait, maybe he's on to something right. here. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, buckle up. Well, you know, I, I, I say that sort of tongue in cheek, mm -hmm. uh, joking, because um, and I'm, I am trying to be funny yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's not as... It's, it's not as scary or as bad as you think. Like, it's okay. You're okay. Nothing's wrong. You're not going to hell. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're not um, uh, being deceived by Satan. Hmm. You, know, it's, so you know, you're not uh, an enemy of the Lord or rejected God or any of this kind of thing, whether you believe in God or not. I'm, I'm using those phrases for people who... This is what people are genuinely afraid of. Yeah, I know. I know when I, I remember lying on my bed, breaking out in a cold sweat, wondering if I'm going to hell because I don't believe in hell anymore. I mean, how screwed up can you get? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so I just try to encourage people, look, you know, this is, this is a good thing, really kind of like growing pains. Um, you know, it hurts, but it's actually, this means you're growing but it, it does hurt and it'll pass. Um, and we're here for you, you know, talk about it, share your story. This is totally not, it's too bad. It's too bad. We weren't prepared for this, you know? Yeah. It's too bad. Uh, the church doesn't say, look, uh, I'm simplifying, but you're gonna, 
when you really are serious about growing, you're going to come to a point where you question everything you've ever believed, everything you've ever been taught. You're going to question authority. You're going to question my authority. And you're going to want, wonder what's true and what's not true and who to trust and who to believe or what to believe. You're going to even begin to wonder if God exists and um, you're going to enter the dark night of the soul that might last a while. Yeah. If people were warned about that in a gentle, compassionate way, when it does happen, they're kind of prepared for it. And it's not a shock and yeah. they don't feel like they're evil and on, you know, on a, a, yeah. a, a broad road to, to hell, right? Perdition. So that's, that's what I try to tell people. Just be encouraged. This is actually good. This is a good thing. Good sign that you're growing and we're here for you. And that's another thing too. Um, we, you know, my, my Instagram account, it just keeps growing and growing and growing full of people who are deconstructing. And it's just a wonderful community of people who support one another and care for one another. And, and it, we didn't have that just years ago. It's, it's now available where you can um, hang out with other people who are going through the same thing. Yeah. What, what does that look like that online community space? Cause that's one of the parallels, you know, I think between your work and our work is that's, you know, we're creating content as a way of, um, inspiring community. Right. And, and right. of course it all, everything's contextual and it all looks different. Mm -hmm. I, I, but I'm really interested in what does that community sort of look like in your space? Okay. So I have my, I have an online community where people pay a subscription for, uh, it's called the lasting supper. And, um, it's, it's a couple hundred people. And so it's very small and I kind of want to keep it that way. I've seen so many communities blow up when they try to grow and it gets too big and it gets, there's conflict and it goes crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I could grow, you know, people pay $15 a month to be a part of this community and to receive the content I'm giving, especially just for them. And uh, we have a private Facebook group and all that, but um, you know, I could grow it to let's, let's say I grew it to a thousand people, but I know I will not get any rest if that happens. Yeah. So we, it's yeah. a, a couple hundred people and it's running smoothly and it's wonderful. And I love it now, but I have online communities elsewhere, like Instagram, my Instagram account, for example, <coughs> we're on Twitter and Facebook as well, but Instagram is my most active community. And I just work very hard at keeping it as safe a space as possible and um, where people can come on and vent and, and, uh, you know, be authentic and be honest and tell their story without the fear of being judged or criticized or corrected or instructed or advised, you know? So, um, we, we just have a lot of fun over there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. Kind of going back to what you said uh, a few minutes ago about, um, piece of advice and you were saying if the church would, you know, you were some flying, but if a church would give you a heads up about deconstruction right. i even think too is and the church wouldn't leave you alone like meaning oh you're going to deconstruct and you're going to be all by yourself but rather we know we're going to be a community here to support you you know i, yeah. think, I think sometimes that's the scary part is you're all alone and trying to navigate so i love that you're also providing a community for people to in a safe yeah. way to deconstruct and um uh, share their story i think that's a big part of it is sharing their story but doing it in a safe place yeah, so it's it, it's difficult though because it's kind of like um, you don't know how dark it is until mm. all the lights are out. You know, you can't you can't predict it, and you can't predict the feeling or prepare for it. So often I compare it to Jonah being thrown over the boat. You know, we know the end of the story, but he didn't. Yeah, he was just being thrown into a turbulent <laughs> sea, and he was he was going to drown. He knew it. I, I, I'm not taking that story literally. I'm taking it as a lesson that yeah. often <clears throat> we uh, we know we know the end of the story often, but you know, uh, really, like Jonah, many of us were thrown in the deep end of a turbulent sea of deconstruction, and we don't know if we're going to live or not. Really, seriously, we we don't know if we're going to survive this. <clears throat> it's kind of like Lisa and I. After we left the church, we went through a real rough period of a couple of years wondering if we were going to make it um, as a married couple. It was really, really, really scary and really tough. 
Now, looking back now, I can say, oh, you're going to be fine and your marriage is going to be better than it ever was. But we didn't know that at the time. We couldn't tell. You know, we were we were really scared and um, we we didn't know if we were going to make it. So, you know, uh, we can we can say to people, look, I've seen this before. Um, we're here for you. We're here to support you. But when you're in the middle of that kind of tumult, yeah, you 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 know, it, it sometimes uh, encouragement doesn't really help. That's how dark it is, yeah. you know, where you can't even hear anything or see anything. And um, so, but you know, if the church gave space for that, where people were, you know, I, I I don't know if I believe in this anymore. I don't know if I need this anymore. And you say, you know what? Totally cool. This is, you know what? You're growing. I respect that. Do what you need to do. And maybe they leave for a couple of years, but maybe, you know, they touch base once in a while and they maybe eventually they're like, you know, I miss community. And uh, I'm going to go back because actually I feel like I can believe what I want and be who I want to be and be spiritual the way I want to be without being corrected or judged or, or whatever. And I get community again. So that's, I think more churches, if they did that would experience that. It's kind of like uh, adolescent, right? It's kind of like our kids. We went through a real, I would never want to parent teenagers again. It was a nightmare, but I love them and I always have loved them, but because we granted them autonomy and let them experiment and figure out lives for themselves, we're now best friends. Yeah. And, and that's the way it works. Right. Yep. 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 I've got two um, adult um, women also. And, and I totally agree with that. Um, and our, the best part of our life was when we took them to Disney as adults, yeah. <laughs> we took them when they were kids Man, that was work. When you yeah. when you go to Disney with your adult children, it is so much fun. <laughs> but yeah, there that, that you know, giving them the autonomy. I was thinking too, as you were saying that, um, you know, about about if churches would just allow people to go through this process and prepare them. The other the other thing that would happen there is that you would have people still in the church who had been through the process mm-hmm. that could then help guide and shepherd other folks. But as it is now. You know, it, when the church, you know, and Brandon, your your experience, you've talked about a lot. The church turns its back on you. You've got nowhere to go. Then the next people that come along also get rejected. And you don't have yeah. those spiritual guides in your community that can help folks walk through the difficulties of, of deconstruction. Yeah, there were times when Lisa and I were parenting our kids when we felt rejected by them. <clears throat> yeah. But um, we trusted that the good seeds we planted in our relationship with them would bear fruit. And it's the same with the church. If you, if you plant good seed, it's going to bear fruit. If you, and and it might, sometimes uh, it might look like rejection and it might look like people leaving you and everything. But if, if if you planted good seed, I think, you know, I've, I've seen it kind of like our kids coming back into, you know, wonderful friendship relationship. Um, the same thing can happen with, uh, with community. Yeah. And, and you know what, it might look like, like with our kids, one of our kids is in California and two of them are local. It might look like that where some people leave the church and they might not come back, Mm -hmm. but they still, I, I, I've, I've met people who left my church, um, because that's how I pastored. I gave people that freedom and they were like, "Ah, I'm just not into it anymore. And you know, whatever. And they, they'd move on and, but they years later, even though they hadn't been to this church, they still loved it and still called it their church. And if I could just release that uh, need for them to be there, mm. uh, you know, whatever, and let them just be who they were out there, I knew I'd, I'd contributed something good in their life and, and be happy with that. Right. Yeah. So. That's awesome. That's good stuff. <clears throat> That's so good stuff. So we're, we are kind of coming close to the end of our time here. Um, yeah, yeah. Time, time flies when you're having fun, right? Um, this is, it's been such a really interesting conversation. Um, 
I, I feel like I say this every single episode, but it does feel like we could go on for another two hours and still not really hit the bottom of all the things we could talk about. But, oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but I do want to give you a chance, you know, to to talk about, you know, where yeah. folks can find you and the things you're working on and um, how how people can get connected with um, with the communities that you're forming. Yeah, well, I'm Naked Pastor online. Um, and if you're searching Naked Pastor, I recommend that you use it as one word, not two, because if you Google Naked Pastor, you're going to see things you can't unsee. Oh, no. So, no, 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 I didn't no, think no. about uh, that. But uh, <laughs> at Naked Pastor, uh, that's my handle everywhere from Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, TikTok, everywhere, Facebook. So, And my, my website's nakedpastor.com. And um, all of my stuff's there, like my cartoons and paintings and books and everything, courses. Uh, I even have a course on how to leave the ministry and other courses as well. So, hmm. um, yeah, that's where you can find me, nakedpastor.com. And I meant to ask you this at the very beginning, and, and I kind of got away from me, but how, how did the name Naked Pastor even come about? That well, I, I, I got that name when I was pastoring a local church, and there were a lot of bloggers out there, and that's when blogging was at, was at its peak, <clears throat> and a lot of pastors were blog, blogging, and I thought, you know, I want people to see behind the curtain and see what really goes on in the life of a pastor, like honestly. So I didn't want to just talk about the church growth and the music and, you know, the youth group and, you know, what I was studying or sharing my sermons. <clears throat> I wanted them to see my struggles um, theologically, my doubts, my fears, the conflict, my money struggles, you know, the church's struggles, all that stuff. So I, I called it Naked Pastor to express the vulnerability, the openness, transparency, the raw, the real, no adornment, you know. So that's what Naked Pastor means. And I decided to keep the name because a lot of people are trying to convince me that I'm still kind of being a pastor online. So uh, <laughs> I'm keeping the Naked Pastor name. I love it. I love it. It's yeah. so good. It's great. So good. Yeah. Well, David, thank I, you yeah. so much for um, for taking some time to be with us um, for this episode of the podcast. Um, really, really glad to have gotten to to maybe not exactly face to face, but over zoom, um, to, oh, yeah. to, to get to meet one another. Um, and, uh, hopefully we can, maybe we can get together again, uh, some other time and, and dig in, you know, a little bit deeper on some of this stuff. Sure. I think it's Absolutely. a conversation that a lot of folks are going to be really interested in. So really cool. appreciate, um, the work that you're putting out into the world. Um, the, the community you're forming, the, the way you're encouraging people, um, to get through this difficult time of deconstruction. I think it's really important. And, Thanks. Super happy uh, to have had you to, uh, to be part of the podcast here today. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. Well, Brandon, um, once again, a really, really, really fascinating conversation. I don't know how how we luck into having such interesting guests. You know, right. I mean, <laughs> um, David was he, he's just so articulate, and um, you know the way. I mean, obviously, this is an audio format, and you can't look at the artwork. There'll be some. Um, some links in the show notes that yeah. if you want to go look at some of his stuff, but um, you know, some of the, the ideas about, you know, how institutional Christianity just is missing the mark. Um, he just has such a great way of expressing, you know, what, what a reconstructed kind of faith could look like. I think he really does. And, and um, if you follow him on social, like he said, he does a really good job of trying to keep that community safe as, as, as tough as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, after our conversation, I did go and kind of start following him and seeing like, but he interacts with his, with, with people that comment. He does a great job at uh, warding off people that are there just to cause harm. But um, his artwork is amazing. Uh, great guy. So um, it, it was a great conversation and uh, I look forward to, to more conversations with him. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, as always, if you're interested in the content we're creating and curating for the Accidental Tomatoes community, you can find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com and across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. And as always, if you have ideas or suggestions for future guests or topics for us to tackle here on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Um, so just contact us through our website, message us on social media, or send us an email at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. 
And if you enjoy the podcast, uh, we would love for you to give us a rating and review on whatever app or platform you use to listen to your podcast. That helps other people find us and connect with our community and participate in these conversations we're having together. And if you'd like to support the work that we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can donate through Patreon, where your support helps us offset some of the expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash Tomatoes to learn more. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us again for another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast.